This week, right. Music Biz Weekly Podcast, it's our 2023 predictions, and we're joined by Bruce from Hypebot and Bands in Town. You want to listen to this one. Welcome to the Music Biz Weekly Podcast, founded in 2011 and with over 500 weekly episodes, where Michael Brandvold and Jay Gilbert, two longtime music industry pros, discuss the very latest trends, tools, and tactics that you need to succeed in this Build new- a stunning band website in minutes with Bandzoogle. Go to bandzoogle.com to start your free 30-day trial and use the promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. You got Mike, you got Jay. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's, let's get this ball rolling real quick. Quick shout out and thanks to Bruce, Hypebot, Bands in Town for all you do to support us. And of course, to our sponsors, built by musicians for musicians, Bandzoogle's <laughs> an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a stunning website in EPK. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including dozens of customizable templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, integrations with Bandcamp, SoundCloud, YouTube, bands in town, and more, so you can easily add content from your other profiles. And of course, their amazing live tech support from their musician-friendly team seven yep. days a week. And bands in town is just bands in town. Bandzoogle has just <laughs> added custom landing pages for musicians. You can now easily create your own music landing page using preset page templates and built-in funnel tools that'll help get your pages up and running and added to your music marketing campaigns in minutes. Plans start at just $8.29 a month, and that includes hosting and your own free custom domain name. Music Biz Weekly Podcast listeners, head over to bandzoogle.com, sign up, try it for free for 30 days, and use the promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY. That's all one word, and you'll get 15% off the first year of any subscription. Bandzoogle.com, promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY. And DiscMakers.com, we know it's a digital world, but there's still an important role for all for physical media for today's musicians. Digital royalty payments are so small that selling products like CD, vinyl, T-shirts, online and at gigs is such an important income generator, and we talk about this later in this episode. Mm -hmm. For every CD you sell at a gig, you might need roughly 3,000 streams to make the same amount of money. That's a lot of streams. Our friends at Disc Makers are the place to go for your discs and other physical media, including vinyl, USB drives, and T-shirts. Head over to DiscMakers.com, place an order for 100 or more CDs, and when you check out, use the promo code FREEBIZ, all one word, and you'll save up to $150 in shipping. Jay, we got one of our absolute favorite returning guests this week. Bruce yeah, we sure from do. Hypebot and Bands in Town and Skyline. Joining us as we talk about what are we predicting for 2023? Yeah, let's let it roll. Let it roll. Podcast.com. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow and rate us on Spotify. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We appreciate your support. Today we're joined by our friend Bruce Houghton, who works at HypeBot, uh, works at Skyline Entertainment, and also is a senior advisor for our uh, favorite bands in town. Bruce, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Always, Always great a pleasure, having you, Bruce. Yep. So, 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 Bruce. Let's just Jay. Jay. Let's just turn this over to Bruce. <laughs> no pressure. So, yeah, exactly. No pressure, Bruce. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's January twelfth, twenty twenty three. It's a new year. Um, what do you think is going to happen this year, Bruce? Are we going to shut down? Or are we going to get more shows? Uh, you know. Is- yeah, I mean, I, I guess there there are two things that I'm thinking a lot about. One is one is touring and and the idea of you know the new pressures, uh, financial pressures that that you know artists are facing and mental sure. health issues and all of yeah. that. And and yet you know we start in a place where well, let let's just start with this. We start in yeah. a place where to, where touring is you know 60, 70, 80 percent of most artists' income. It went away. It came back and then it came back, but there's inflation and thing and it's harder, uh, you know, to pay for everything, if you will, right. which is almost certainly going to lead to higher ticket prices. It, it kind of has to or artists performing less. So, you know, I just look at it from an artist perspective and I go, I, I think this must be horribly confusing and a bit scary that the thing that you've always been taught 
and and it's true for most artists is I'm going to make money from touring and selling merch on the road and right. you know the direct relationship with fans that I develop on them on the road and yet it's harder to be on the road than ever. And let's talk you know, about know- what's expensive, Bruce. Like, yeah, I've noticed that, you know, I was talking to Michael Sweet from Striper and he's saying that the bus that they rent is like three times what it used to cost. And there's obvious things like fuel, but talk about some of the other things that are really sticking it to these, you know, touring artists when they try to get out on the road. I mean, it's a lot of things. Like I have a lot of artists that fly and tickets are 40% more than they were in 2019. That's that's a you know a consumer survey. That's not just me making it up. That's not empirical. But sure. also it's, you know, it's also that if you if you want to hire a crew or you, you know, everybody needs to hire a crew, that crew is better paid than it used to be. And and that's a good thing, but it's also more expensive uh for the artists. Hotel rooms are I, I don't have a number, but I'm guessing 25 to 40 percent more than they were before. So really everything is up, let's say 10 to 40 percent. And 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 you know, it's not as if ticket prices have gone up 10 to 40 percent. In fact, a lot of the tours that you're seeing now or or certainly in the last year were booked pre-pandemic or booked during the pandemic and certainly before the inflation. So, you know, now we're out there trying as an agent, you know, I own a booking agency, we're out there trying to get everybody a little more money. But of course, we're trying to get everybody a little more money at the same time that the venues and promoters are understandably nervous about inflation and how that's going to affect the fan buying a ticket. So there's no good answer to honestly. Uh, I think we all created we all have to be more aggressive the artists have to really do their part in terms of promotion but that's those are just you know parts of a fix there is no real fix yeah is it still challenging because post pandemic it seemed like everybody was just so hungry to get back out on the road has that waned at all or is it still just this avalanche yeah i mean yeah i was i was gonna ask you what's what's the what's the competition factor like um right now for bands um you know uh, there's so many bands that want to get out and there's only x amount of venues and x amount of days you can play it sort of yeah. feels like the the power is in the hands of the the promoters and the venues to pick and choose the deals and the artists they want are are we going to start seeing a a settling down of the oversaturation that we've had in the last year I mean, it's probably 10 or 20% better than it was in the fall of 2022, but it's not much better. And I don't think it's going to get better until the fall of 2023. Um, you know, you, you still have a lot of artists that have, um, uh, you know, not toured or just done shorter tours in 2022. And then are now that they, you know, see that it works again or coming back for longer tours. So no, I don't, I don't think you're going to see, we're still going to have a glut for lack of a better way to well, put it, at least in the we're, first I, I think half we're, or three quarters. Yeah. We're, we're also dealing with first part of 2023, a lot of pandemic shows that have been rescheduled to 2023 yep. that are still, still being made up mm-hmm. before you can even start booking new tours. Yeah. Absolutely true. So uh, yeah, again, I mean, in answer to your question, it's it's a tiny bit better, but I don't think you're going to see it uh, getting better, really better, until at least the fall of 2023, and maybe later. You know, it's hard to know, but but right now, um, I can tell you that spring and summer, it's just, I mean, everybody's yeah. everywhere now. You know, there are, there are some positives to it in weird ways, and that is that some secondary venues, some secondary promoters, some tertiary markets are getting attention that they didn't get otherwise. Um, so if I were a fan living in Boise, Idaho, I'm probably, I might be able to see some stuff I wouldn't otherwise because smart yeah. aging or agents are having to get more creative about where they put the artists. Now, you know, and, and, and always when we talk about this, there's the top 5% and then there's everybody else. So let's just assume the top 5% charges what they want, goes where, where they want. And yeah, bad you know, is that's do it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's the rest of us, if you will, that, you know, are, yeah. are I think, you know, having to be more creative. So, no, I don't think it's going to be better. Look, you had that WASP tour. They came out and did super business, but it was only like, what, 10 dates or something? Is that what it is? Oh, and no, now the, no the, the, the U.S. tour was about 35 dates. Oh, and, that, it was and about, they're coming it was, back again, right? Um, the It, ha- it hasn't been confirmed. No. <laughs> but they, they, no, 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 no. I mean, Blackie's actually uh, announced this. There's been yeah. talk. I mean, immediately with the success, promoters want to bring them back to the U.S. Right. this summer. So right. it's all 
about said and done. They just don't know exact dates, when, where, right. all of that other stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, at, to my point about makeup tours, I mean, Wasp is heading to Europe in March to make up for their tour in Europe last spring, which got delayed because of COVID. So, right. it, you know, it's, it is, it's very crazy out there. Um, I think, I think what, you know, what we're seeing is again, the promoters are anxious for great selling tours. If, if you come out and you do great, they're going to be all over you like flies mm -hmm. on honey. Um, I think even more so than in the past, because there are a lot of tours that are just doing poor so-so right. as well. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 I think the, the, the artists are probably going to need to have a different frame of mind for the next six to eight months, as you were sort of alluding to that, um, we're not the ones in power here. If, if a venue says we want to book you, but we only want to give you this much <clears throat> odds are, if you don't take it, there's six other bands. They can easily pick up the phone in the next 15 minutes and fill that slot. Yeah. And that's a scary place to be as an artist or an agent, because, sure. you know, as, as we said, you know, at the top of this, it's more expensive. So, you know, if you're used to going out and touring for X and everybody's offering you 20% less than X, then how the heck are you going to make money when everything really costs 20 or 30% more than X? Right. So it's, you know, and again, the top 5%, oh, oh, so I feel bad. They only made 800,000 instead of a million. Oh, I feel bad. But for every, exactly. you know, but for every, for everybody else, it's, you know, it's really, yeah. you know, can I make my mortgage payment or that's can right. I, can I pay the crew? You know, yeah. well, so, let's, look, let's look at other uh, areas of revenue too. I was just going to say that you touched on merch um, a second ago, uh, Bruce. And I know that merch prices are up, um, you know, at the wholesale level. And you talk about, premium vinyl we all know that that's a petroleum product and that's had mm -hmm. a lot of increases lately too so even where you know you're all the stuff the the economics that you just discussed but then there's merch i think people underestimate and i mike and i had a episode last week about merch and just how crucial that is it could mean the difference of sleeping in your van and <laughs> sleeping in a hotel and i've had a couple of acts recently who have done you know 40 date plus tours staying with fans every step of the way, every single mm -hmm. date and not staying in hotels. Talk a little bit about, you know, on the, on the merch side, it, those kind of prices are high too, right? Yeah, they are high. And so the bands, you know, have to um, charge more so far. We feel like we see that the fans are paying it, but I'm not sure at what point that's, you know, that's going to change. You know, those are the kind of things just thinking back to, was it 2009? What was the Great Recession? I always I try to forget. But anyway, 2008. You know, we didn't, right. Yeah. We didn't fe we didn't feel it so much in the ticket sales, et cetera, until the sort of the tail end of it. But things like merch sales, you did feel, you know, because, it, yeah, they wanted to go to the show, but they could live without the T-shirt. You know? Right. They had to choose. Uh, and, yeah. Right. Exactly. So, you know, I, I you know that and that's just you know to add another piece of complexity to it you know everybody's worried about is are we going to go into recession and how long and how deep and certainly when you talk about i have our accent won't tour in europe this summer because you know the recession has hit harder there than it has here and you put that plus covid plus all the other problems uh they're just choosing not to go to europe so it's it, it's kind of messy out there but i but you know look it's i always say these are obstacles that we have to overcome and we have to be creative. We have to tighten our belts. And it's, I hate having to say it, but it's just the reality. It's not, what are you going to do? Stay home. You know, we've got to get the bands have to get out there. They have to tour. They have to, you know, meet their fans. They have yeah. to make the money they can make. Do, yeah. Don't, don't, so. don't you guys think that all of what we've talked about makes it even more important now for bands to understand business, yeah. business, money, banking, yeah. cost of goods, all of the unsexy, unfun yeah. stuff that for, for the regular many, businesses do. Yeah. Well, yeah. For regular, hopefully most of them do. We know regular businesses don't do that as well, but you take, you know, in, 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 in the past bands maybe got a little comfortable knowing, yeah, you know, I didn't have to really worry about the cost of my t-shirts or really focus on selling merch because we were doing great and comfortable 
with just what we were being guaranteed for yeah. our shows. Now, all of a sudden, you need to sit here and go, well, how do I, how can I lower the cost of that t-shirt by a dollar per shirt? What's involved? How can I, as, as Jay, you and I talked about last week, how can I increase my merch sales by looking at past sales history, looking at what fans are asking for? Um, I think all of a sudden, those sorts of things are going to become critically important for for somebody in the band to be paying attention to and and going okay what are these other revenue streams merchandise vip programs all of this stuff that you know maybe that vip program you were selling for 75 bucks which was just a quick photo and bye bye and you're gone now needs to be actually more of a value so the fans will pay for it because you know, VIP programs, quite often, there's no physical goods associated to that. That's, right, that's right. pure profit margin. You're not even selling them the ticket. You're telling them you got to buy the ticket on top of this. So, you know, I feel like bands really, really need to start looking at the, the numbers. You know, when you get that invoice yeah. and it says, here's what you paid for those beanies, Ask if there's a way to get cheaper beanies. Is there a cheaper yeah. cut of this? Is there a cheaper embroidery? I don't, you know, things that I don't think people really took too seriously and too yeah. important in the past. I think it also speaks, though, to a greater point. Um, I, I agree with you 100%. But the, the bigger message maybe is that you really need to understand your fans and you need to un, yep. own the relationship with your fans and you need to know how to communicate with your fans. And we can get all into the, all of that, yeah. you know, as yeah. we go, but you know, I, it, it, when you see the artists that pays attention to their fans, that serves their fans, that knows the cities they should play. I mean, you know, from Taylor Swift on down to, you know, a, a little bar band that just, has their email list down um you know you see the difference in the money that they make and the fewer mistakes that they make by by not ordering too many t-shirts by playing in the right venue it, it's it, it's so it's really yes it's understanding your yeah. business it, it, but i would just broaden that a little bit to say you know your fans are your business or, or a part of your business so you really yeah. need you're, to understand you're, as well. you're, yeah. your, your fans are going to tell you everything you need to know i mean you listen you know, if you listen, I, yeah. I, 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 I talk. Yeah, if you listen, I talked about it last week on our episode. I mean, it's like you know, the Wasps fans told us we need five XL shirts. We want these. You know, like right now, I'm like, well, yeah. fans are begging to buy guitar picks. Right. Okay, we don't have them in the store, but gee, can the merch company go out and produce some guitar picks that we can throw in some? small plastic bags and you sell a bag yeah. of picks for 10 bucks and we yeah. all know the cost of guitar picks yeah yeah it's knowing what your fans are asking for yeah absolutely and bruce let me ask you a little bit about like lately i've been reading these stories about you know bonnaroo and coachella and they're announcing all these you know these mm -hmm. festivals and the lineups how does the economics and the way that you approach festivals differ from say just a multi-city run yeah, it's just really tricky. You know, the bigger festivals have um, very strong radius clauses that prevent you from doing much around it. And in fact, well, talk I about can, that a second for our, our listeners who yeah. don't know what a radius clause is. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So uh, uh, I, I'm please don't quote me, but a Bonnaroo might say you can't play or Coachella. Maybe that's a better example. You can't play within 250 miles between of Coachella between when we announced the show, which was in January, and when is Coachella? I'm trying to remember, late spring, and uh, and 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 for maybe 90 days after. So all of a sudden, the entire West Coast, almost or certainly California, has gone out the window. Now there are exceptions, and I'm not trying to beat up on any one festival, sure, but no, all just the, an example, the, yeah, right. All the major festivals are 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 like that, and in fact, you know, I'll I'll be honest, I've. I've tried to teach some of my acts that we need to spend less energy on those festivals because they do cr create those, um, they do block so many other dates and think about smaller festivals, think about other kinds of ways to do it. Now, you know, honestly, those festivals are very difficult to get. Uh, so, True. you know, put, pinning your, your stock on that. But, you know, there are a lot of smaller festivals, a lot of opportunities. All, with all of it, though, it's just a question of balancing, you know, opportunities um, versus how much time you have versus how much money you need to make, et cetera. It's a, you know, it's a, it's, a, you're putting a puzzle together always. 
makes sense. Yeah. Are, 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 are artists looking at festivals the way bands in the 80s and 90s looked at getting on Letterman and getting on the cover of Rolling Stone? Are a lot of them just looking at it like, gee, I'll, I'll play for free. I'll, yeah, I'll play for free because if I can play Coachella, even if you're the last band that you can't even read the name, they think that's going to, exp- you know, their career is going to take yeah. off from there. Is that yeah, a misconception? Honestly, um, it is a misconception. And I'll say that I think literally, I don't know if it's the pandemic or just the last couple of years that artists are a little less fixated on that than they were um, three or four years ago or five years ago. In other words, I think it's, I believe it's been proven enough times that unless you've got a great slot in front of a lot of people at a festival, unless you're somewhere in the billing where you're not going to be lost, you don't have to be at the top, but you don't want to be at the bottom, then it it may not be worth it. And, and, uh, you know, yeah, it's it's uh, it's great to be able to say I played Coachella or Bonnaroo or any of these, but it doesn't matter as much as as one thinks it will. And I think artists and smarter managers are starting to to understand that. Yeah, so I, mean, you, I think you, so, people so, forget. I, oh, go ahead, Mike. I was going to say so. So playing the side stage at nine a.m. <laughs> isn't going to move your career. <laughs> no, no. Unless and and look, risers. if you if if you could do it and it didn't block out you know, 250 miles of radius, I'd be all for it. You know, fine, go play for free, put it on your resume. You know, I mean, I'm up for that kind of stuff. But but when it starts to hurt your ability to be able to make money, and maybe that's the pandemic lesson too, is, you know, we've got to make harder choices than we did before. And we need to, you know, be a little smarter than we were before. Yeah, that brings up up a really good point, Bruce. Sorry, we're kind of cutting out just a little bit. But um, what some people don't understand is that when you play these festivals, or even if you play good morning America or something there, there are fees involved in, you know, getting the band there, the back line, it's not free. And so I know artists that have to kind of weigh, like we've been offered this TV show, but in order to do that, it's going to cost us, it could be like $10,000 to get the band there, put them up in a hotel, feed them, get the back line, get the guys to set up. And I think that's the same with festivals, especially if you're one of those developing artists that gets in in some of those early slots is you're going to end up um, losing money. And you've got a way that is that promotion, is that being able to those bragging rights saying, hey, I played Coachella, unless you're getting a big press hit. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I, I, I'm not sure I'm exactly going to answer your question, but what sure. I would say that matters is there are dozens or even hundreds of secondary festivals that are a little more genre specific. And if you can get a, a young act to play four or five of the uh, EDM festivals or four or five of the uh, jam band festivals or four or five of the country, fe- you know, if you can get them to play some of the secondary ones where they're likely to maybe only be seen in front of 5,000 people, but be able to have an impact or often with the secondary festivals, yeah. I'll negotiate multiple performances, you know, all right, thank you. You gave me, you know, this show, but I'll stay around for another day for a thousand bucks. If you'll just give me another show. And all of a sudden you have an impact in those. So if I, if I'm bringing a band up and I can say you played Rocky grass and Merle fest and, you know, whatever, three or four of those festivals, that genre. And that's true in most genres that they have these secondary festivals that can really have an impact on an artist's career. Um, For two reasons. One is yes, it gives me something to talk about as an agent, but also they went to, into four or five cities, four or five festivals, and they won some fans because they were not, you know, trying to compete with Kanye or whoever's on the main stage, whoever said they were going to be on the main stage. Is there a radius so, clause difference in those smaller festivals? Yes. Yes. I mean, in, in other words, they can they can be 100 miles, 75 miles, 150. They're also a, a lot. They're also a lot nicer to deal with, you know, like, hey, I can take this for the money you want, but I need to be able to play uh richmond virginia on the way to bristol tennessee even though it's just inside your radius clause and usually they'll go oh, fine you know it's it, you're cool we're good you know so it's just a different Got it. it's a different thing got it yeah. and that might be like americana fest or electric forest or yeah. whatever um which yeah. are you know i find that some of those smaller festivals are actually better <laughs> for me because you get closer to the artists you can see right. more music um, some of these larger festivals, I get why people go to those and I've been to all of them. 
you know, and it's really an experience in some ways it's less about an individual artist and more about just the experience of the event. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Mike. No, I, well, I, I was, I was going to shift our topic a little bit here. So uh, a year ago we were all, I mean, everybody was <laughs> exploding around NFTs. What do you see for NFTs in 2023? Because obviously crypto and NFTs are in a completely different state than they were 12 months ago. Yeah, I mean, I think it's you, you, It's interesting that you see people experimenting now with NFT as sort of a gift to fans, a way to uh, uh, get closer to their fans, uh, as a way to capture fan data, et cetera. If we think about it that way, then there's a future for NFTs in music. Now, how quickly that's going to come along in 2023, I, I, I'm a kind of skeptical. But I do, you know, if I were a... If, if I were a smart manager, I'd have my eye on that at least, or a smart artist. I don't know that I would devote a great deal of time to it. Um, but, but I do think long-term, I mean, you're, you're, there's a lot of people doing things uh, in, and starting to do things in uh, uh, NFTs as uh, proof of attendance, if you will. You know, PubApp yeah. is, 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 is one is that, allow, that enables that. And, you know, so you go to a show, right? Somebody goes to a show, the artist doesn't know who bought the ticket if it was through Ticketmaster, right? They, they, or, or most ticketing platforms, they don't get capture that data. But if everybody that came through the door got a free digital gift, which you could call an FT or you could call something else, then you suddenly have a way to capture that fan and you can yeah. communicate with that fan. So there are kinds, there's stuff like that that's really interesting. It's just not, it's going to happen slower. And, yeah. and, you know, so be it. I've got a little prediction on that side because I've seen some things on the side that are really picking up steam. And that is people that are using digital collectibles uh, as part of a physical offering. And really at the end of the day, a lot of it's bragging rights. You know, I'm a bigger fan of Wasp than you are because I have this limited edition thing that you don't have. And they only had, they only produced X amount of them, but I'm seeing some of these companies, you know, like Microgroove and some of them that are, taking a test pressing or a lithograph or a CD or vinyl or whatever it is, a physical thing and attaching something digital to it. So they can have something that they can show off on their phone or on, on another device. And they're getting really creative with it. Steve Lukather has this wonderful site for, with all of these digital collectibles that he's selling. And some of them have to do with backstage access in a meet and greet or some of those things. So my prediction for 2023 is by the end of the year, you're going to see a lot of creative ways that people have taken this NFT lemon and made lemonade out of it. Sure. Did you see the thing? It wasn't an NFT, but it, it could have been that Taylor Swift did with the digital downloads. Like, yes. So she, she, she took the her customized album autograph. Her, right. And, and she, well, and she said, and she created four individual covers and put a flash sale, I think it was 12 hours, might've been 24, of you could buy this download of my album that was usually $14.99 for $4.99 and you got a unique cover. So it was, and, but if Limited. you bought all four of them, right? For $4.99 times four, because there were four unique color covers, they all fit together in kind of an interesting graphic. <laughs> so all of a sudden digital downloads, like, I mean, who, when was the last time you bought a digital download? And exactly. Nobody, nobody is. But all of a sudden that became a hot a item for 12 or 24 hours on the on Taylor Swift fan site. And I thought, you know, any band could do that. You might not do it for 12 hours. You might do a limited edition of the first 200 or first 500 or whatever it is. But you're right, Jay. I think, I think you're going to see more of that. Now, are those even... Do they even need to be NFTs? Do they need no, to be, you know, no. sitting on the blockchain? I'm not really sure. I don't think yeah, so. But but, but it, digital collectibles, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I I kind of feel like in 2023, the the whole idea of just going out and making and selling an NFT image, that's over. We yeah. we that 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 exploded and collapsed really fast. And I guess sort of as what we were all talking about last year is it's when somebody figures out an actual real use for the NFT technology, the technology of an NFT, not, not just buying the word NFT because that's the hottest buzzword, which gets well, to also, all the collectibles. Remember, too, collectibles. that it, it's not NFTs that crashed, it's crypto that crashed. And, right. that, and the value of NFTs along with it. So, 
you know, do I understand what's going to happen in the crypto market? If I did, I wouldn't be here right now. I'd be calling you from the Bahamas. So it's, uh, you know, it, it, who knows where it's going to go. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. Digital collectibles. Yeah. I'm really excited about 2023 because I'm seeing a lot of positive signs in, in things. I, I do think the economy is improving. I do think touring is going to do better and merch is going to do better. And I've, I've noticed a lot lately. Um, well, I was listening to Shirley Halpern in her variety podcast and she was talking with publishing. And I love the fact that artists that used to be really careful and choosy about what sync licenses they took and you almost were made fun of by neil young if you you know at one point if you had a sync license now people are broadening well what is a sync license it's not just a major film or major tv show or even a commercial it could be a game those are blowing up or a toothbrush that plays music and i'm seeing people get really creative on the sync side and being a lot more um, open to having their music used in other products. And then the other side, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. We're seeing so many things with like interpolations and loops and beats and just uh, different ways of taking music, pulling it apart and being creative with it, speeding stuff up and slowing it down and things that we never really thought about a few years ago. What do you think of the evolution of some of these different use cases. I mean, to me, it's 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 a reminder that people like the familiar, and what you're doing is giving them a different version of the familiar. Just like you know, we used to say, "Hey, you know, release an acoustic version of that song on your album or whatever." These, are, you know, to to many in yes, we all love to listen to new music, but I'm you know maybe I'm showing my age on this, but. <laughs> You know, my Spotify playlist has, you know, Leonard Cohen next to something that I just discovered last week. So it's it's it, I, I I look view as mo most of these things as, you know, even if the the 17 year old doesn't know that he knows or he or she knows that song, there's something familiar about it. And therefore, this new version of it um, uh, has some life, um, you know, yeah. I. I yeah, I, and and I yeah, Sync had an amazing year. What was the number like? Up forty three percent or something? Yeah, it was, I, I it was in some, front of me, some, but it was substantial. Number. Yeah, yeah, and that's the other thing. If 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 you don't mind me shifting gears a little bit, is sure. you know, you said you said you're optimistic about the year. I kind of think of it as a transitional year with touring. Not a bad year. I'm not really worried about you know recession, et cetera. If it happens, well, well, whatever we deal with it. But the thing, you know, we see it in touring, but I also see it in. Um, in socials, you know, you've you've got Twitter exploding. You, I'm not saying TikTok's going to go away, but it could. You know, you you have younger people, you know, from government action and all of that. Um, you have, um, you know, Facebook. Certainly, the younger audience is moving away from Facebook. You you know, you have Discord. You have all this stuff growing and sing, et cetera. It just it feels to me as if there's. I can't look at somebody now and tell them, unless maybe it's TikTok at this particular moment, this is where you should be spending your time on, except maybe their email list, email slash text messaging. And I was getting that direct connection to the fan. Um, and I, I mean, you guys are, are are both talking to artists every day. What are you telling them on a marketing level they should be spending their time on? No, I'll let Michael speak for himself. I'll, I'll just say that it depends on on the artist. You know, if I have a heritage artist, I'm not going to have them pound TikTok uh, too hard. Um, but I can tell you that social media is one of those things that I'm not a big believer in. Um, I'm, I don't see a lot of ROI. I don't see a lot of audience growth. I think it's really more of a nice to have. And it's really kind of cool. If you have that relationship and that communication, that dialogue, I've seen beautiful things happen with artists and their bases, but just this constant buy my album, see my show, buy my album, see my show. Pretty soon we just tune that stuff out. I've seen, you know, artists do really well on Twitch, like ridiculously well. There are, we always say, go to where the party is. Don't start your own party. There's a party at Twitch. There's a party at YouTube and TikTok. And so I think it depends on the artist. But the last thing I'll say on it, I'd love to hear what Michael has to say about this, but I think that artists today are trying to do too much in that they have to do Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know, YouTube, socials, and all of this stuff, and then write, tour, record. And I tell artists, for your own mental health, if you're into, let's say, Instagram, own it, double down on that thing, and hit it hard, and, and just do it. 
don't try to be all things to all people because at the end of the day, it's more about the song and the live performance. And we have to kind of forget about all of these other trappings that a great song is a great song. A great performance is a great performance. And let's not get too far away from that. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I'm a, I love social media, but I don't love it to the, at the, to go along with what Jay said, sell, 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 buy, buy, buy. That's not social media. That's, that's, that's beating me over the head. And as a fan, even if I'm your most diehard fan, I will eventually stop following you. If the only thing you tell me is buy something. So, you know, it always goes back to what I say is the 80, 20 rule, 80% of what you do online regardless of what the network is, should have nothing to do with selling. It should just be connecting, engaging, having fun. You know, example, today for Wasp's, Wasp's social media, I created a, a Filthy 15 PMRC playlist on Spotify and just shared that on social media. That's, that's it's got one Wasp song in it. It's not right. selling tickets, not selling T-shirts, it's not selling anything else. It's engaging and getting the fans talk. The sure. vast majority of what you do online has to be that form of content. You can drip in when you need to, new tour announcements, new album announcements, but you need to spend most of your time creating fun content. That yeah, I guess the question loves. to me of course, I agree with you both completely, but I guess the question for me is where do they do it? Well, you know, but, in other yeah, words, and, it's, it's not as odd. I mean, I, I, I can tell you just before the pandemic, we said if you didn't have an Instagram account, you weren't working, you know, you were you were foolish and mm-hmm. an artist, but it's not. I mean, that's the thing now. I just don't know where to tell people to go. I mean. <laughs> And, and, you know, and what I end up telling them, which feels archaic, but I don't think is wrong, is everything you do, you've got to point it back to your website and your email list or and text message list. You've got to you've got to grab that information because who knows what's going to go in and out of fashion. But that's not a complete answer. That's that's no, a way no, to capture you're, 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 the answer. It's not a way to grow an audience. Yeah. Right? You know, and and to some extent, what Jay said is is exactly right. Find out what network you love. You know, right. is the drum is the drummer a photographer and he loves posting photos and uses Instagram personally? Great. Double down on that. Do you have one person who loves making videos? Great. Let's go into YouTube. And right. and then it's not a it's not about having it's not about being active everywhere. I do think you have to have a stake in the ground in all of them, even if you're not using it, just so no one else takes your ground away from you. Um, but then it's about working smart and I'm a big believer in you create one piece of content and you figure out how to slice and dice and repurpose it to go everywhere. So you create one video, well, guess what? That one video you could easily share to TikTok, YouTube shorts, Facebook reels, and Instagram reels, Spotify, canvas. Yeah. You you can, you can, you can dump it out there. Now, maybe the only network that you spend time actually engaging with the fans is Instagram or maybe it's Facebook. It's wherever you're comfortable. That's fine. I don't think you can, nobody's got the time to deeply engage across every network. And, and you've got to, you know, we go back to this all the time data. Where are you seeing that content get the most traction? Are you seeing it on Instagram reels? Then that's where you double down. If you're, I mean, Demographics to some extent will tell you, but you know, when I started with Wasp uh, over a year ago, they weren't on TikTok, they weren't on Instagram. I got them right. up on both of them, and you know, we've got some TikTok videos that are over 200,000 plays on there. But is TikTok the primary focus? Not at all, because when I create a, a 60 second video, it's going everywhere. Some of them just happen to connect great there. Um, But to everything else you guys are talking about it, it, I think this is the year you really kind of say every year is this way, but (laughs) now more than ever, you've really got to think about the networks that allow you a more direct connection to the fan. Yeah. Me, me, meaning, um, you know, one more Facebook follower ain't going to do anything because we know Facebook's reach is, is absolute crap. So an email list is really great. Um, you know, 
and and this is this this is this isn't because you're here, but bands in town is <laughs> freaking incredible people. Absolutely. You know, you don't have to use bands in town to just post and share a tour date. Today on Wasp Bands in Town, I sent a message out to their 180,000 followers. We just restocked the online store with the sizes that were out of stock, and we added more U.S. tour merchandise. And the only thing I would add to that, Michael, is that I I love all of what you just mentioned. But the the thing about Bands in Town that I think is unlike any other platform is that I can reach fans. If I have a developing or middle-class artist, I can reach, quote-unquote, like competitive audiences that I know I'm being more surgical now. I know the audience of this artist that's established would love my developing artists if they only heard it. Well, now I can kind of, you know, it's like that old joke, half my advertising doesn't work. I just don't know which half. Well, if you use that kind of targeting, it does. And the one thing that I would just put an exclamation point on what Michael was saying is that my marketing all comes down to one word. And it's not you know, looking at those numbers as a contest to see who has the biggest social footprint, it's engagement. And when I look at engagement, I'm talking real engagement, you know, beyond kind of the like and the follow, but really more of things like comments and video views and what that behavior is and sharing and, you know, that interaction with those fans, that's when you develop that base, that street team that'll basically do anything for you. And it's, it's so incredibly valuable. And I, I'm not going to knock TikTok, but I will say it's the easiest platform to gain views and the most difficult to gain real engagement. Yep. And I those those views don't time. necessarily turn into anything. That's right. right. And then, it's, and bra- I also it's a, it's a at, great bragging, right? But that's it. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say on it is even YouTube, which I'm a huge fan of YouTube. And I, do I have my issues with the, the amount of revenue they pay out and all of that? Sure, but that's a, that's a whole nother thing. But like I was looking at two videos the other day. One had, you know, just absolutely, I think it was two point something million views, very few comments. And then you look in YouTube analytics and you see it, things drop off, you know, because they have that 30 second mark that you're paid on. And you can kind of see what that, you know, that tail off is. Well, then I had this other view, which was less than 100,000. And there was almost 100,000 comments. I mean, mm-hmm. that video connected with people and they were just sharing it and talking about it and they wanted to engage. So it's not always about just having the bigger numbers. It's about the strength and the engagement of those numbers. Exactly. And and to add to YouTube, because I was going to, when when I tell artists, we've got to grow followers, I l- focus on email list, bands in town followers, trackers, YouTube subscribers and Spotify followers. Cause I feel like to some extent, those are the numbers that you can actually get some decent um, engagement in return from. And, and, and YouTube it's more so it's not just getting the subscriber to watch your video. Too many people have completely ignored the community tab on your YouTube channel. Yeah. We'll talk about and, that a little bit. A lot of people yeah, don't know what that community yeah. tab so, is. So, so, so you go to your YouTube channel and you look at the menus across the top and there's something called community. And I bet 95% of the artists who click on their community tab, will be empty because you've never posted anything there. But that is just like your Facebook wall, your Twitter feed. It's like anything. And again, as an example, um, today that, uh, that post that I sent out to Wasp Bands in town, I also posted it to the YouTube community page saying, we've restocked, here's the link, hashtags, everything else. Everybody who subscribes, is a, it, that shows up and they get alerted on those posts. Yeah. So yeah. I have found much greater engagement on on non-music posts in YouTube compared to that same post, maybe on Twitter or Instagram or elsewhere, because people are conditioned on YouTube when you subscribe and you get that alert, boom, you're hitting it, you're following. And, and YouTube is not just for video commenting, there's commenting on that community post. So people are overlooking that. And I mean the vast majority of, and maybe this falls on Google because they've done pretty much a crappy job making people aware of this and making it easy to use, but it's an 
gold mine of untapped engagement. Get people to subscribe, even if you're not posting videos, because that community tab can be used to reach your subscribers for tour dates, for news articles, for sharing interviews, for just posting a photo, for asking poll questions. It's much more engaging there. Um, I'm also, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated with, uh, and I've seen some stats with um, connecting all of that with YouTube Shorts, which is their yes. TikTok version, sure. where right. people are using, t- you know, active, being active in YouTube Shorts, and that's driving more engagement to their long form videos, and vice versa. So I think, yes. I, you know, if if I were an artist with with a, 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 a let's just say a solid, not even a substantial, but a solid YouTube presence. And you're thinking about TikTok, I might pause for a minute and try YouTube Shorts. The audience isn't I as big. I completely agree. But if you're already feeding into an existing audience, you know why you you need to do. Oh that no, no, sure. you you. I have found YouTube Shorts. First of all, I mean, was YouTube is telling people, you know, there's a billion views in YouTube Shorts a month. So there there is an audience there. Yeah. Um, but again, I think Google does kind of a quiet job of promoting this. And if I if I somebody said I could only do TikTok reels or YouTube shorts, I would probably say YouTube shorts because you're right. If you've got long form video content, that long form video is helping to drive to shorts. That short will drive people back to your long form videos. You've got the community tab. I have found YouTube shorts and and let's be honest. YouTube is much not great at monetization, but a hell of a lot better at monetization than than TikTok, Facebook. I mean, I just I just got a side note. I just got my Facebook Reels bonus quarter monthly check from them, forty cents. I made forty cents from Facebook. Lunch is on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, YouTube <laughs> is much better at monetizing content yeah. for the content creator. Well, I think and, it's going to where the party is, right? That's where people right. are going. And if you listen to like the Music Business Worldwide podcast a couple of episodes ago was Lior Cohen talking about exactly this, you know, like, look, this is an ecosystem. We have the party. People are already going there. If they like your short little clip, they are right there to see more interviews and songs and learn more about you and the community and all of that. And it's hard to argue against that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, I believe in social media. You can't be everywhere on every platform. Find the ones you love, but also find the ones that have a little bit of a leg up on the others to give you more of a, a ability to directly connect to the fans, all of the fans, not just 4% of the fans that are following you, but all of them. And, and, and again, going back to, you know, you know, bands in town, I mean, you know, the send that message out to all your followers, that's, that, that, that well, better fact, reach and engagement than you're right. going to see on any social network. And they're, yeah, they're because there, there is no algorithm getting between you and the fan on Pants That's and right. Just if I can be yep. self-serving for just a second, you're, you know, you're one in two things where email list and Bands in Town. And as you both know, Bands in Town has a completely free both product that in essence allows you to connect, collect, or sorry, uh, combine those two lists and message them together at no yeah. cost. So, and I just add to that, Bruce, program, so, just, yeah. just really quickly on my artists. Yeah. Um, if you look at the, the average open rates in the music industry and click-through rates, right around 16, 17% open rate, maybe three, 4% if you're lucky mm-hmm. on the click-through. With my bands in town, I'm seeing my open rates always north of like 50, 60%, sometimes yep, as high thing. as 80%. Yep. You're never going to see that on your typical because it's so surgical. It's so targeted at the right audience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, We got to wrap up here pretty soon, Bruce, but the problem with having you talk with us is we could do a four hour episode easily. And, you know, we, we only get warmed up and then it's like, Oh my gosh, you know, we got, we got to run pretty soon. So please do us a favor and and promise us you'll come back on soon to continue the conversation. It's, it's always a pleasure. And I love you guys. I love what you guys do and the consistency with which you do it. It's unparalleled. And I, you know, if if you're an artist and you, if an artist asked me the one podcast to listen to or pay attention to, this is the one. 
And you know, some people have Thank you. Jay, even you have have some uh some really cool guests and some amazing uh discussions on some other things that you're involved with. But the truth is this is actionable knowledge. And for most yep. of us, that's it all starts with that. So thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bruce. Appreciate thank you. Visit discmakers.com to place an order for 100 or more CDs. And when you check out, use promo code FREEBIZ and get free shipping up to a one- As you said, Jay, it's always it's always a pleasure having Bruce yeah, on. It sure is. We could go forever. Um, and we his, will again. Yeah, we will again. His insights into so many areas is is amazing. Um, it goes without saying, you need to be following HypeBot. Read those articles over on HypeBot. And God, if you're not using bands in town, what are you doing? Are you serious? I mean, seriously, are you serious about your career? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. go over there. You probably have fans following you that you haven't even been paying attention to. I can't yeah. tell you how many times small artists that never use They're it. I'm shocked. like, you know, you yeah. got 1500 fans over here. What? What? They never yeah. looked. They never and sometimes looked. it's sometimes it's even much, much greater. I looked at for an artist the other day and it was in the tens of thousands of trackers. And that is money in the bank. Those are people you can message frequently all the uh, time for free as often as and, you want. And yeah. take advantage of that. Yep. Yep. Go yep. Sign up. So go, go, go sign up, check it out. Um, give us your your uh 2023 predictions. Head Ooh, over to like artists, the artist community on Bands yeah. in Town. Join us over there. Bandsintown.musicbizweeklypodcast.com. Let us know your predictions. Different from ours, following up on ours, whatever it might be. What do you think is going to happen this year? Uh, yeah. That's it, Jay. We'll see everybody next week. And industry professionals listen to the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. If you have a product or service and would like to reach this audience, Get in touch with Michael or Jay to discuss sponsorship this opportunities. For Music Biz Weekly, provided by LarryDavisVoice.com and by JessicaMarsVoice.com. That's Mars with a Z.